Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Hey, guys and gals. Welcome back to the second edition of The Grind podcast. I am Dave, and as with me always is Chad. Hey, Chad. Hey, Dave. How are you, Chad? I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Hey, how's your summer been so far? It, it has been chaotic. We uh, just uh, recently moved from a small house to a little bit larger house to give our, our not growing family, we're not having any more kids, <laughs> uh, but our family of six a little more room to breathe, and, and we love it, and it's great, but we're still not settled yet. And so, uh, you know, furniture's in place, beds are up. Some of the pictures are hung. That's all you need. Kitchen is put together. We can cook. We can sleep. We can hang out. So that's good. We moved four months ago. We still have boxes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In the garage. Ton of stuff in the garage still. Ton of stuff in the attic still that needs to be gone through. But we will never park a car in our garage. (laughs) Hey, we can actually get both of our or two of our vehicles in the garage now. So that's uh, there's still boxes there, but. We can get two in there, so that's it's great. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really nice. We love it, and uh, getting to meet some of our neighbors. Uh, have met. Uh, we knew our neighbors to the left of us are good friends, and then met the neighbors to the right, and just met the neighbors across the street yesterday, and so uh, and found out we have a couple of other friends that live in the neighborhood, and so getting to know some of the neighbors. So excited about that, yeah. and the potential for a mission there in the neighborhood. So. Uh, uh, which we'll be talking a little bit more about when we get to our interview guest today. So, so your summer's been good. Yeah, uh, it's been good. Um, annual SBC, you got yeah. to go. I didn't get to go because I was moving. Yeah, so. that was good. It was a good time, man. It was uh, really well attended. Uh, way more people than I remember in recent years. I've been to the last like seven yeah. annual meetings, and this one was really a lot of folks. So it was good. A lot of younger folks too. So good mix. Um, highlights you know the the whole thing with jd greer and and steve Gaines. that was kind of neat the way that played out yeah. i think some some good unity some some neat stuff happening so yeah a lot of graciousness on all sides a lot there. a lot so you know jd for president 2018 <laughs> i'm kidding i don't know yeah. i'm just teasing i don't even think he has to even show up <laughs> you know so uh, yeah i'm doing a, a camp uh this summer yeah. so i'm getting ready getting ready for that but uh Man, just good stuff. Family, that's all. Yeah, Yeah. it's all good stuff. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're glad you're joining us on the podcast. Uh, If you want to kind of catch up with us and keep up with Arkansas church planting uh, and stuff going on around the state, we post a lot of stories on our Facebook, Twitter accounts, uh, on our website. And so you can find us on Facebook at just Arkansas. Yeah, I think it's ABSC Church Plant. ABSC Church Plant, yeah. yes. And then uh, AR Church Plants on the on the Twitters. On the Twitters, <laughs> AR Church Plants. And so we, we always post a lot of stories there, a lot of resources there. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of cool to hang out and see what we're reading, what we're hearing, trends in church planting that we're seeing. And then a lot of great uh, Arkansas church planting stories, which we're going to you know, share uh, an Arkansas church planting story each week on the pod, or each time on the podcast. And uh, I have one coming up today that uh, we're real excited about. And so uh, so we'll be able to keep up with some of that stuff in between podcasts. So check us out on Facebook, Twitter, like us, and follow Instagram. us. We have Instagram. Oh, and Instagram. Yeah. Hey, yeah. looky there. We're Instagramming now. So, so. And that is what? Uh, you know, 
something. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can go to the show notes uh, and see the things that Chad uh, and I forget. Just search ABSC Church Planting. You'll find us on there <laughs> yeah. on the Instagram. Folks, as you can tell, this is a high-quality podcast oh, where we goodness. are really prepared when we come to this. Hey, we're on it. That's right. That's right. So uh, so anyway, well, I'm excited today uh, get to interview a guy who's become such a great friend. Uh, one of the When I first started doing church planning for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, Brad Briscoe was one of the first guys I met nationally. Uh, Brad is a church planning catalyst in Kansas City and has been there for, for about 12 years doing that role. Uh, in Kansas City, and uh, has also been uh, part of the national leadership team for Forge Network, which is a uh, mission formation, missionary formation, mission training network. Uh, it's doing some incredible stuff, uh, founded by Alan and Deb Hirsch and Michael Frost uh, out of Australia, and Brad will talk about some of that uh, here in a little bit, but Brad's just become a great friend, and uh, as many of you know, uh, his and Lance Ford's Missional Essentials book uh, I've used all over the state, uh, just getting guys to think a little bit differently about their church plants and their approach to connecting with their communities and neighborhoods. And so we're excited to have Brad joining us today. Welcome, Brad. Uh, glad you're here with us. Yeah, good to be a part of the podcast today. Looking forward to chatting with you and Chad. Awesome, awesome. Well, you are our second episode, so uh, still a little bit of a lab rat stage, and so uh, glad to have friends on to experiment on, and uh, so we'll see we'll see how it goes. And so we just want to kind of jump in and uh, just kind of talk about, uh, I know you're familiar with the state of Arkansas, and a lot of folks in Arkansas are familiar with you uh, as you've been down a number of times doing church planning and, and missional church stuff. Just kind of talk about your journey uh, in church planning, kind of what's led you to where you are in Kansas City, uh, maybe your connections with, with NAM, with Forge uh, Network, and uh, kind of unpack that a little bit for, for folks that may be listening. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I didn't actually become a believer until I was 30 years old uh, out of college. My brother and I uh, were in the restaurant business together. We did that for 13 years, and it was in the midst of that we both became Christians and eventually felt like uh, wanted to do something different. So we sold our businesses, and uh, I went to seminary thinking I wanted to be a professor, really. I love to teach. Uh, but in the midst of going to seminary, I got introduced to this idea of church planting, and I felt like uh, maybe God was using my kind of entrepreneurial apostolic gifting uh, that I used in the restaurant business, uh, you know, towards church planning. So I started to pursue that and uh, really just, just fell in love with, with the idea of, of starting something new uh, as related to faith community. So my wife and I, I got married about that time, and then my wife and I uh, were involved in a couple of church plants, and we planted a church. And in the midst of that, about five years into that, the local association asked me to come on board uh, while we were still planting and just help other planters. So we actually did that in Wichita for about five years, and then 12 years ago, we moved to Kansas City to do the same thing here. So uh, I'm a church planting catalyst, which just means I help to recruit, train, and resource to coach church planters and try to recruit partnering churches or sponsoring sending churches. Um, and then I guess in the midst of that, I would say probably about the time I moved up to Kansas City, probably 12, 13 years ago, uh, I just started to have a little bit of a 
what you might call a crisis of mission, perhaps, um, as it relates to the church plan. I just started to kind of question uh, the way we were planting and how we were going about it. Uh, you know, I was just taught one way to plant a church, and it was really about starting a Sunday morning worship service. Yeah. And I don't know, about five years into it, like I said, just started kind of questioning a little bit about uh, the direction we were going and and just all the time and energy was really spent on trying to attract people to our programs and activities. So in the midst of that, I started just doing some research and kind of trying to discover if, if there were church planters in the country that were doing things differently. And that's what, you know, initially, it eventually kind of led me to uh, read some materials from, you know, guys that you, you, you guys are very familiar with now, you know, Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost and, and others. Yeah. And it just kind of put me on a, a journey of uh, kind of reconsidering a little bit kind of the nature and essence of the church. And uh, that's how I got involved in Forge America. And then just really, it kind of took me in a little different path as related to uh, encouraging church planters that maybe didn't quite fit the conventional church planting box, you might say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and that's kind of what I've been doing the last six or seven years, spending most of my time with, is working with planters that were trying to do things just a little bit differently than, than uh, what we had been doing the last couple of decades in the area of church planting. For those that may not know what Forge America is, kind of unpack and, and share a little bit about what Forge is doing as a sure. network and kind of where it started in yeah. Australia and then came this way. Yeah, so Forge is uh, a mission training network that was started a little over 20 years ago in Australia by Alan and Deb Hirsch, Mike Ross. And then about six years ago, probably closer to seven years ago now, another Aussie by the name of uh, Kim Hammond moved from Melbourne to Chicago to start Forge America, and then real early on, there were three or four others of us that started working with Kim, and for the most part, what Forge is about are local hubs and cities across the country that provide a nine-month cohort-based training, uh, both for pioneering mission, which is typically church planters, but it's not always just church, church planters. Sometimes it's just people that want to know just kind of everyday uh, moms and dads that want to know what does it look like to live out missionality in their neighborhood. But then also the last several years uh, in Forge, we've been working a lot more with existing congregations that are just trying to kind of figure out what does it look like to help move an existing church in more of a missional direction or an outwardly focused direction or externally focused direction. I don't really care what language you use, but just what does it look like to help the church, I would say, recapture the missionary nature of the church. Yeah. Uh, so Forge is involved both in, in that pioneering mission, but also helping to work with existing congregations. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So w- with that, with moving churches toward more of a, uh, embracing, not just supporting missionaries, but the church being the missionary, one of the things I've heard you talk about a lot, uh, is the, is cultural distance and the cultural distance paradigm and how we as the church in essence expect lost people, uh, to be missionaries instead of us being the missionary. Right. Uh, unpack yeah, unpack exactly. that a little bit for us. Yeah, so um, a lot of training I do. In fact, just this morning I was in a different city in Missouri, and uh, we took two hours just to kind of talk about some of the paradigm shifts. And what you just brought up, Chad, is one of the things we talked about just this morning. Uh, so I, I like to start with different paradigm shifts where I like to say that if you've been church for a very long time or if you've been discipled by American evangelicalism, 
that I'm convinced there are some some paradigm shifts or some theological foundations that we need to kind of unlearn and relearn in a sense, or at least be open to asking, have we kind of gone off track on some of this? And one of the, the first most important paradigm shifts for me is what I call the missionary nature of the Church. Mm-hmm. So we spend some, a significant amount of time talking about the missionary nature of God and then the implications on the Church. So if God is a missionary God, which I believe He is, then we as His people are missionary people. Yeah. Well, one of the ways I like to drive that home after we talk for some time about the missionary nature of God is to use a visual that you just brought up called cultural distance. So really cultural distance is just a kind of a missiological tool or a missiological uh, image where they just try to verbalize this picture that it's, I like to draw like a continuum and put numbers on it. So let's just envision a line, and on the line you have a zero, then a one, two, three, four, five, six, and I'll draw a little line with each of those numbers just to say that the Church, I would argue, operates at M0, which means there's no cultural barriers when we try to clearly articulate the gospel to someone, or we try to meaningfully communicate the gospel to someone, um, there are usually barriers, typically, that get in the way. The biggest barrier, or the greatest example, would be language. When someone speaks a different language, it's, there's a barrier there for us to communicate to them meaningfully. But there are other barriers, more than just language. There's tradition and family background and past religious views, lots of different things. So every one of those numbers would represent a cultural barrier. Well, what I argue, or what cultural distance is about, is then I like to draw a circle that goes between M0 and M1 and, and say that I think, the, generally speaking, the, the typical church in North America operates inside an orbit between M0 and M1. In other words, we reach people that are just like us, mm-hmm. and a lot of churches, yeah. they stop going down that scale when they butt up against that first significant cultural barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then what happens, and what you just brought up, Chad, is that when we operate in that orbit between M0 and M1, and we do church in such a way that we think if we do church really, really well, we can attract people to come to us, mm-hmm. like you just said, in essence, we're asking them to cross those cultural barriers. And make no mistake, coming to church or coming to a church service on Sunday morning, for many people, there are some significant cultural barriers. So when we think that in kind of an attractional church mindset, if we think we do church so well that we can attract people through the programs and activities of the church, instead of seeing that we are the sent missionary people of God, mm-hmm. we are, in essence, as you just said, we're asking them to be the missionaries. Right, right. And that is that is really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> that we're asking them to cross the cultural barriers when we need to realize we are the sent missionary people of God, not lost people. Yeah, man, that that's huge. Uh, that's a that's a big, I think, um, life altering paradigm shift when you when you put that together. Uh, one of those places I know that you've seen this cultural distance manifested is in you guys being foster parents. Uh, share how how you guys as a family have engaged in foster parenting and use that for for mission and sharing the gospel. Yeah, so for me, yeah, it does kind of fit in with cultural distance because we're you know we're working with and loving on and trying to understand people 
in many cases are somewhat different than we are. They're from a different social location, different things like that. I also, I like to, you know, share a bit of our foster story when I talk about hospitality, because I really think biblical hospitality is just an enormously powerful theme in Scripture that we just don't talk enough about. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, it's about taking care of the orphan and the foreigner and the poor and the and the widow, and then in the New Testament, literally the word means love of stranger. I mean, the Greek word that's translated hospitality is a combination of two words. It's a word for love, and it's a word for stranger. So it literally means love of stranger. Well, it's in the midst of that, you know, talking about hospitality or biblical hospitality in Scripture, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll tell our foster care story just because it's one little example of something that we tried to do uh, to kind of break the bonds of of fear, uh, because most people, instead of loving the stranger, we have a fear of the stranger. Instead of of philoxenia, which is love of stranger, we know the word xenophobia, which is fear of stranger. So so to kind of try to break the bonds of that kind of fear in our family, several years ago, we just decided to uh, become foster parents and... uh, you know, now over, gosh, it's been about seven years now, We and we, we really have lost count, but somewhere over, set, we've had over 70 kids come through our home, wow. and we've adopted one of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. just just one, yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah, it's just been amazing. You know, the thing I usually share with people when I talk about the foster care story is to say it's a, it's a wonderful example to influence the lives of these kids. Uh, number two, it's a wonderful example opportunity to influence the lives of parents, which in 90% of the cases is a single mom. Wow. But then I always say the third thing, it's the single best thing we've ever done for our own family, or it's the single best thing we've ever done for our two boys. That's a good one. Um, and, that's, and that's the thing about biblical hospitality. Just when you think it's for the benefit of the other, hmm. you recognize you're, you're the real beneficiary. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's how the kingdom works, is yeah. when we think, you know, so, yeah, so it does, the whole cultural distance, it is because in the midst of that, um, you know, we recognize there's lots of barriers that we need to overcome. I mean, we we can't ask these little kids to overcome those barriers. We're, we're the ones that need to discover what those barriers are, and then we need to be the ones, as Jesus-following missionaries, we need to be the ones that figure out how to best overcome those barriers and, and, and you know, be with these kids rather than think that they somehow got to figure out how to come and, and be with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, a, it's a great way to realize that, uh, and we know this, but when, when you're engaged in foster parenting adoption, you find out that not everybody lives in a leave-it-to-beaver kind of scenario, you know, home yeah. life. And, and the spiritual practices and rhythms that each of our families employ on a regular basis they're not familiar with. I've heard you tell several stories of, you know, going to pray for the the foster kids and them not knowing what prayer was. And oh yeah, instead of, you know, no spiritual rhythm, they they live in constant chaos. Yeah, I mean it's it's mind boggling the level of fear that they experience. I mean they have a fear of are they going to have food for the next meal? They have a fear if someone's going to abuse them in different ways. I mean they they just live in constant fear and constant constant chaos yeah so it's just impossible for them to thrive when and we would be the same way if we lived in constant chaos or fear you just don't yeah you, there's just no way you're going to thrive yeah uh, so yeah it's it 
it's been an eye-opening experience for us, uh, to say the least, and for our boys. Yeah. Well, and this is a growing, obviously a growing need, and, and it's gained a lot of awareness over you know, the last several years. I know particularly here in central Arkansas as well that foster parenting and adoption is on a lot of people's radar. And just the, the, the whole opportunity for mission that's attached to that is, is incredible, you know, with opening your home to, to a stranger that is in chaos and needs just some, somebody to breathe life into them and, and, and share that with them that there's a, there's a different way that you can live and there are people that, you know, actually do love you and care for you and, and, uh, yeah. uh, and provide yeah, some, sure. some realm of safety and security and stability. And so, uh, so that's a great way to be on mission. Hey, shift gears a little bit. Uh, I know you've done a lot of work with uh, Hugh Halter on uh, Bivo Church Planting, and that's something that's been a, uh, become a big part of our church planting strategy in Arkansas. And uh, have, you know, Hugh's coming in in September. We talked about that on our last episode and, and looking forward to him coming. And I think you may possibly be coming with him on that yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm going to try it. Yep. Yeah, yep. and so you know, talk about kind of what you've seen in this shift, you know, coming out of the – you know, just the paradigm shift in mission and paradigm shift in how to bridge the, the cultural distance that the church is experiencing with the community. I'm just convinced that being a marketplace church planner or engaging in the marketplace some way while planning a church is just a great way to bridge that cultural distance. So, you know, talk about some of the things you've seen and, yeah. and highlighting that and kind of your work in Kansas City as well with you and, and, uh, just Bible church planning as a, as a whole. Yeah, I guess the, probably the first thing I would say in light of the comment you just made, Dave, was is that uh, I I think not only, it, you know, there's more and more guys that are planting bivocationally, not out of necessity because they can't raise full time, full time support, but right. it's, but it's uh, because it's missiologically correct. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I would be real careful not to, you know, kind of pitch one against the other, but I do think as we move more and more and deeper and deeper into a post-Christian, post-Christian context, uh, it's just, missiologically, it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think five O church planters have, and again, I don't want to pitch it against, you know, full-time, but I think it's true to say they have much greater street cred uh, mm, yeah. with, with lost people, <laughs> yeah. because... It just it's for, for a lot of lost people. It just doesn't make sense that oh wait a minute. So you're like a full time pastor and you're starting a church and you know whenever a church planter can say oh no I do this or this is my vocation or this is how I make a living, it just gives such reputation and street cred to that person in the eyes of a lost person. I think so. I think missiologically and, and then the other way missiologically it's right is that we're doing life with people then. Yeah. Instead of being, you know, in that Christian bubble, uh, we're actually out there building relationships with people that we're probably never going to have a chance to build a relationship with otherwise. They're, in other words, they're not showing up to our the programs and activities of the church plant. Uh, so, you know, I, I would recommend, you know, someone, they, they are bivocational, to try to find something that, of course, you can make a living doing, but also that you can rub shoulders with lots of people if at all possible. Yeah. So I think missiologically, that's a that's just a huge piece. Um, the other thing about it, I think, is it, you know, someone that's doing bivocational, the expectation, the runway is just going to be longer. Right. You know, guys that are funded, 
uh, from large organizations, you know, they might be funded for a year or they might be funded for two years, and everybody knows they're on the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows that, you know, the moment that funding starts, there's a day that funding's coming to an end. So there's just a pressure. I think in some cases there's kind of a, you know, it, there's an unnatural, I don't know, kind of process that happens there sometimes that we just want to try to get as many people together, and we don't care if they're, you know, if if, if, if there's Christians coming, you know, disgruntled Christians coming from other <laughs> churches. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, we've got to get this thing sustainable. Right. And uh, I just, you know, I think we would all agree that's not the way of the kingdom, and that's not true church growth. So I think with a bivocational approach, it's just the expectations. You know, you want to see growth, but you just have a much longer runway. And so what we started doing more of is providing less funding on the front end and then letting guys know that, look, you get to the point to where, you know, you need someone to kind of buy some of your time that you're spending in the marketplace to focus on the church. Well, let's talk about ramping funding up when it's necessary rather than doing it all at the, on the front end. Yeah. So I think we can kind of, you know, we can kind of backload a little bit of the funding, if, you know, to stay at one leg, perhaps, rather than just all the funding coming up front and then a the guy's on the clock and knows, you know, he only has a certain amount of time to get this thing sustainable. I just think that puts guys in, in a bad spot. I think it forces us to do things that probably aren't right, you know, in regards to trying to gather a crowd um, to where we just, with a bivocational approach, we can just go a little more natural, a little more uh, kind of organically, perhaps. And um, and, and I, I, I just think you do a better job with our own lives and the lives of our family, but do a better job with, with some slow, steady growth with a, with a branded church. That's a good word. Church planning is hard enough without adding undue pressures, mm. uh, yeah. you know, on, on church planners and their families, and and really the families are the one that take the biggest heat on that, particularly That's in the right. area of financial stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's number yeah. one concern we always hear. And I tell you, Dave, in light of what you just said, you know, when I used to think about bivocational church planting, I, you know, I think about a church planter going and finding a part-time job. Um, but I tell you, more and more, I think a much better way to go is encouraging guys to work work their vocation. I mean, what they're trained to do, what they're good at doing, and, and work that. And then try to find one or two or three other uh, leaders or, or families, couples, that can also give 8, 10, 15 hours a week towards the church plant. Because then... You know, if you're working full time, as long as it's you know you're not doing something crazy like 60 or 70 hours a week, but if you're working full time, that can support your family. Um, you know, so plant out of that along with you know, it, and of course the emphasis there is on a team. Right. But right. try to bring other team members in that also have full time jobs that can just give 10 hours a week towards the church plant. I just think that's a so much healthier mm-hmm. approach or model for the family because, like you said, it's it's hard enough. Yeah. But with that, with those added financial pressures, uh, sometimes I, you know, I just, you just see, you just know guys and families that they're they're just killing their family, and and we know that's not right either. Right, right, absolutely. Well, this is this is a growing passion here in Arkansas. I know it is for you guys as well, and not just because of the financial piece, but just that intentional. I've heard you say over and over that we need to have proximity and presence with people. 
And, and right. you know, the workplace environment gives an incredible opportunity to have immediate proximity with people. And because of the natural, you know, rhythms of everyday life while you're working together, you get more than enough opportunities to go deep, to, to have presence with Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And, and it's just natural, yeah, right? Yeah. You, don't have to, you don't have to create some goofy... You know, <laughs> yeah, don't have to force it. Just steering every conversation in a spiritual direction. Yeah. I mean, when you're just doing life side by side with people, that stuff's going to come up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, man, we want to start wrapping up. I wanted to kind of you know let everybody know about uh, the books that you've written with Lance Ford, and uh, you've got Missional Essentials, which is a, a, a you know as you and I have talked about, we've used in Arkansas. Uh, 12-week discipleship study all over the state, and and, uh, so many churches are using that and have benefited from that. It's been a a great resource for me as well. Uh, So there's that, and then the follow-up kind of book pieces, Missional Quest, and then you and Lance have a new book coming out, uh, Next Door As It Is in Heaven. Did I get that title right? Yeah, so that book's coming out here in just the next couple of weeks. Uh, It's really just all about neighboring. Uh, The first chapter is called Place Matters, and it just kind of sets the foundation of why should this matter. And we just talk about, you know, the relational uh, kind of isolation, alienation, the the relational uh, disengaged uh, relationships that people have, and just kind of helping people see the relational isolation that is so prevalent in American culture, and then uh, just digging into what does that look like then in our neighborhood. So it's just a really simple, very practical kind of book on how to get to know our neighbors and then how to love on our neighbors. Well, I, we won't put yeah. links to Amazon uh, for these books so so folks can track them there. And, uh, of course, they've, you know, they've heard me talk about Missional Essentials till it's, you know, probably a joke it's now right. because it's such yeah, a... You- we should probably give you a royalty on that. Nah, uh, I, I keep, well, no, let me tell you, if we ever get a royalty on it, we'll give it on to you. Yeah. yeah, I keep waiting for those commission checks, and they're just not coming yeah, in. Yeah, there you go. I'm that's a little funny. concerned yeah, about that's that. Right. I, I, think I just recently moved, so I'm sure that's probably contributed to this. Yeah, and, that's it. You don't it, have my new it address. It got stuck in the mail. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right, man. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right, we'll put those links on our show notes so folks can, can oh, find those resources. And I highly recommend um, reading Next Door's Is in Heaven right now, a preview copy, and and uh, love it. Uh, and just, you know, can't recommend those resources enough. All right, Brad, we're going to wrap up. We, we do a segment called Rapid Fire uh, with every guest and uh, just some random questions we want to fire off at you and now our our last yeah (laughs) our last guest instead of rapid fire made this a slow walk so we we don't want that so (laughs) we're looking for short sweet quick answers uh thus the term rapid fire so are you up for it can handle it yeah okay all right top one or two books that have had the most impact on you oh boy i'd say uh probably shaping things to come and by Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost, and, and probably Alan's uh, Forgotten Ways, and then probably just about anything uh, written by Dallas Willard. Oh. oh, yeah. Okay. All right. How about your biggest strength in church planting? Oh, biggest strength in church planting. Um, yeah, probably multitasking. Uh, oh, look at there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, and I do like to do, I mean, I like to do lots of different things kind of, uh, all at the same time. 
So, yeah, if, if that can be an answer, I'd say multi <laughs> I guess. So, so what's the biggest weakness and challenge you have to overcome then? <laughs> Multitasking. Multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's probably very true. I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't try to do so much of that. Yeah. I probably should let, let some plates fall. What's your uh, favorite hobby or pastime? Uh, probably sports. Um, I love baseball. Um, right now I've got a boy that's playing baseball, and I have another son that's umpiring baseball. So we're at a lot of baseball games, and I'm a big Royals fan. And, and your oldest son has a, podcast, a sports podcast as well, does he not? Yeah, it's crazy. Joshua does a uh, NFL uh, podcast called Roughing the Kicker. Yeah. And uh, seriously, it's unbelievable. He, like, every episode is downloaded over 5,000 times. I can't believe there's that many people listening to him talk about the NFL, but he can't believe anybody reads anything I write. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Hey, we'll put a link to his podcast in our show notes as well and uh, let it's people funny. listen to that. That's it really great. is. All right, favorite movie? Oh, that's easy, Gladiator. <laughs> hey, that's two two in a row. Uh, Andy Swartz's favorite was Braveheart and Gladiator. So, uh, oh, uh, yeah, Gladiator's got to got to be it. Okay, now be careful how you answer this next. How one. about favorite band or musician? Oh, that's easy too. I mean, of all times, it's got to be the best, greatest rock and roll band I, of all time. I know what this too. is going to be. You too. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'd say though, you know, and yeah, I would say over the long haul clearly you too yeah um i'd say the last year i think a band i've really enjoyed listening to is called of monsters and men oh yeah i don't know if you guys are familiar yeah. and then i really i tell you and then just lately i really enjoy the debut album by uh, james bay i don't know if you guys are listening to that but uh-huh. i really I, I love it so so where does for for alan hirsch my buddy where does porcupine tree rank <laughs> in your top bands of all time Mm. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd have to probably go to page two. <laughs> he, he's going to be sorely disappointed, as am I. Yes, he will be, but yeah. I just can't. I just can't go there. Sorry. Well, one of these days we'll have him on, and we can have a porcupine tree discussion. Oh, there. the whole episode. That's right. Yeah. Porcupine tree. That's right. That's right. And, 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 and of course, most people listening will say, "What?" <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe we need to put a, a link to some of their albums in the show notes as well. Well, no, I don't know. Yeah, that's not necessary. That's not necessary. That's <laughs> oh, great. Thanks so much, Brad, for your time. If you had one final yeah, word, bet. one final word, one final challenge for church planters, what would it be? Uh, be patient. Um, I think especially if you're planting with a little different approach or model, you know, uh, you just be patient. Be patient with yourself. Uh, be patient with the people that are part of your crew or your, you know, core group, and then be patient with people you're trying to reach. Mm. Uh, again, as we kind of alluded to earlier, in this very post-Christian, post-Christian context, people are very skeptical of things related to the church, and uh, you just have to be patient. It just, it just, I just think all of this stuff takes time. And frankly, I think that's that's. Uh, that's the kingdom. I mean, yeah. the kingdom is yeast in the dough, and yeah. it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, it's a good word. Right. Awesome. Well, Brad, buddy, thanks so much for taking time to come hang out with us and, and talk a little bit. You bet. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. All right. I always love talking to you guys. That was a great time with Brad. Always love uh, hearing from him. Uh, he's got some great insight. I appreciate him. So sharp. A couple of things that uh, stood out to you, Dave. I, you know, for me, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the foster parenting situation is Brad and I have been friends now for about nine years. 
and, and that's been, you know, something they've been engaged in as a way of you know, bridging that cultural distance in a very practical, uh, involve your whole family on mission kind of way. And, and it's something that, you know, so many people are involved in and, and maybe don't understand how to, uh, you know, they're doing it because they love kids and want to rescue kids and care for kids and, uh, and hopefully have some impact on, on their families as well. But, I mean, it's just, it's such a huge need and it's a very, just a very practical, I never say it was easy because foster parenting is not easy, but, but a, a, a great way to really be on mission as a family. Well, it's very accessible. Y- yeah. You know, I mean, there's, it's not like there every, everywhere there's need for foster parents. Yeah. So and, if you're looking for something to do, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. not rocket science. And, and it's it re- not easy. And, and it really pulls you out of, out of the bubble. Yeah. And it makes you realize that, that your home life and family life is not the norm mm-hmm. in a lot of places. And, you know, I've heard Brad tell so many stories, you know, over the years of, you know, with kids not knowing who Jesus was and never hearing the name of Jesus and, and, and then praying for, you know, their foster kids each night before they go to bed and the kids saying, what's that? And, mm-hmm. you know, so incredible opportunity to teach just some spiritual practices and and obviously the gospel who is Jesus and why did he come and mm-hmm. what does that mean for me and which is all tied up in mission and here is this this huge need that our culture has and and as believers it's a great way to engage as missionaries in the culture and make us aware of of how many broken families there are around us and a very practical way that we can engage in that world and hopefully you know, not only rescue some kids even for a time, but maybe even go so far as to reunite them with their families mm-hmm. with a different family as the gospel transforms their parents. Yeah. That, and, that's kind of what I didn't expect. I expected him to say the impact on the kids, yeah. but I didn't expect him to say how much you can, you can impact parents of right. these kids that come to your home and then impacting your own family. Yeah. So that, that's, that's some really good insight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of things that stood out to me, I appreciate just so much the heart that, that he has for bivocational bi- church planting. Yeah. And what he said was about the, the team planting and, yeah. and planting with other families. And I think bivocational church planting could help a lot of guys because the, the, the pastoral church culture is so toxic today. You got, you got guys, and, and, and a lot of that, I think, is pastors, you know, but, but some of it's churches. And when yeah. you get ch- pastors' high expectations of themselves— and to be all things to all people, and then to get church's expectation of what a pastor should do and be at everything and minister to so many people, it just creates a really prime situation for burnout and, yeah. and all sorts of things. So I think I loved what he said about Bible Church planting as a team where it's not one person doing everything. Uh, it just it, I think it takes a lot of the pressure off, not only from a financial standpoint and, 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 and has an impact missionally, but it also, I think, helps to balance that that culture that, that the expectations are on yeah. pastors. You, you know, there's an old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. And, and one of the things I think uh, Bible uh, church planning kind of creates, the culture it kind of creates is that lead pastor can't do everything. I mean, he's working just like everybody else. Uh, you know, there are limitations on his time if he wants to stay married and keep his family, exactly. which he must. And so, so out of that, creates a necessity to involve other people in what's happening in the church. And so it creates a shared leadership paradigm that involves more people in the mission, more people in the leadership. It necessitates that you develop those leaders 
you know, uh, better and more intentionally to, to multiply yourself and uh, just just creates such a healthy environment uh, for yeah. the church as it grows. Absolutely. And, and broadens the influence of leadership yeah. rather than building around one guy. It's, the impact's so much greater. Yeah, yeah, you so know, much. It's such a New Testament perspective of the church. You know, you've got hands and feet and a nose yeah. and an ear all working together instead of just the nose doing everything. Yeah. I feel know? like I may be an elbow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you look yeah. like an elbow. I look like an elbow. <laughs> you know, so uh, um, <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that says about me psychologically, but, but you you're, know, you're try spe- and feed yourself without your elbow. Yeah. I mean, that's an yeah. important your, part. Your spirit animal is, is an elbow. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, one more thing on, on cultural distance. So just I think our, the church needs this paradigm shift. Yeah. That, that we we are really good at reaching the zero to ones, mm-hmm. and, but, but people don't when they think about their church they don't often think past that. Yeah, and we've we've got to get people thinking past just just you know cultural Christians or de-churched people. We we really need to go after unchurched folks. Um, so uh, that's that's really good insight. Yeah, I, you know, I've been with the Arkansas Baptist State Convention for almost 12 years now. End of August will be 12 years. And, and I've been in hundreds of churches and worked with hundreds of churches. And I haven't come across a church yet that does not want to be connected with this community, mm-hmm. that doesn't want to reach people with the gospel. The problem is there's just some distance that builds over time, and you get to the point where you don't know what to do to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so many different ways to engage publicly. It's hard work. It can be messy work, uh, but it is absolutely worth it. And we cannot be the church that God has created us to be and be distant from our communities in which we live. It just it just won't mm-hmm. work. So that's a piece we've got to figure out. I think Brad has some great insight on how, how to do that. All right. Okay, we're, we're going to do a, a segment each time where we highlight an uh, Arkansas church planting story. We want to share some of the, the really cool things that God is doing uh, through uh, the different church plants around the state. So each week we're going to share an exciting story of what's happening. And so uh, Neil Scoggins, Uncle Neil Scoggins is going to help us with this. And, and so we're going to have story time with Neil here in just a little bit. He's going to share one of our stories. So Uh, Listen up for this. It's story time with Uncle Neil. This story comes from Andy Whitten, the pastor of the Root Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. One day during lunch, one of Andy's co-workers said if they keep making him mad, he was going to come up there and shoot everyone. Another co-worker piped up and said, don't shoot the Rev. We need him to pray for us after you shoot everybody else. The co-worker started in again. I don't need no prayer. I know I'm going to hell, especially after I murder all of you. So Andy got to explain how murderers can go to heaven, too. He even briefly told them how the guy that wrote most of the New Testament was a murderer and a mob boss. The coolest part of that story is that another co-worker, actually one of the supervisors, did 20 years for murder. He began to perk up and listen to how there is redemption available even for murderers. Andy's church isn't your typical church plant, and he isn't your typical church planter. Much of Andy's ministry is working with second chance employees and folks coming out of the criminal justice system. Just remember, you can reach people right where you work. We'd love to hear your story. Find out how to share it with us in the show notes of this episode. 
always fun to have story time with Uncle Neil, and I <laughs> yes. uh, uh, love to have a different voice on here. I, you know, guys, we just love Andy Witten, mm-hmm. and uh, there's so many exciting things happening in El Dorado. Uh, and his place of employment with the guys he's getting to. Yeah, when you asked him to share a story, what did he say? Uh, yeah, he said, I've got too many to pick from, so let me just share what happened at lunch today. Today. And, and, th- and that's every time you talk to him. He's got a new story every day yeah. uh, just like that, and, and it's just incredible what God's doing down there, the potential for impact uh, with his just secular job yeah. uh, for the kingdom is, is, is amazing. I mean, every day God just opens up. Uh, eyes and hearts and minds of guys he's working with, and it's just, uh, it's just. This one's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and, and if you want to hear more from Andy, he's going to be on the next podcast. Yeah, we're going to interview Andy uh, next time and uh, talk a little bit more about his uh, passion for uh, really not just bivo church planning, but intentionally marketplace church yeah. planning, uh, and how that has has been shaped for him not just by mission, but really his view of the church, his ecclesiology as well. And so we'll impact uh, a little bit of that on the next episode. So stay tuned, and you'll get to hear more from Andy uh, next week. You'll enjoy that. He's, he's a blast. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? You're still sore I never read Moby Dick? I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. Chad, what do you, what do you got for us this time? Been reading the art of neighboring. Uh, it's been really good so far. Uh, one of the things that stood out most most about it is I think when we think about Jesus saying "love your neighbor," we tend to think about all the meta- metaphorical ways that that uh, that could be carried out. That so, people are our neighbors. Yeah, people <laughs> people are our neighbors. Anyone everywhere. But we often overlook our direct neighbor, like the yeah. person that lives next to us yeah. and how important that is. So that, you know, it's kind of simple, but that's eye-opening. I think we all need to to open our eyes to who's around us. They do this this test. Uh, I think they call it the, the like cube of shame or the something. The grid of shame. The grid of shame. Yeah, okay. the grid of shame. <laughs> and it's it's basically you draw your house in the middle and the eight or so houses around you and, and who their names are. And you have to... You have to say something specific about them that you would know from a conversation that right. just drives a blue car, you know, <laughs> right. or lives next door. Has or, 1.4 children. Yeah, won't cut their grass in time. Or, you know, it's got to be something you learned, like, from Louisiana, you know, mother-in-law's been sick or something like yeah. that. Uh, so that's been really impa- impactful, just thinking about church planting and how maybe even, you know, as a, as a church planter, be involved in your neighborhood first. Like if yeah. you can't, if you can't be where you live and have a proximity and presence to your actual neighbors, then how are you going to impact you know your community? So. Yeah, and and one of the aspects, Brad Briscoe's one actually introduced me to that book, and uh, you know one of the things he's always said, and Alan Hirsch always says, is you need to be on mission where you live, work, and play. Yeah. And, and where you live is very important, you know, that God placed you in that neighborhood for a reason. Yeah. Not just because you like the house, not just because you like the school district, but he may have had other intentions outside of that for you in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and with my family and I moving to a brand new neighborhood, you know, this is a great opportunity to kind of kind of live the practices of this book. And, you know, when Jesus said to, to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, he didn't mean in exclusion of your neighbor to the right, left, across the street, or behind you. And so we've met our neighbors to the right, left, and one across the street. 
And so we're trying to put this book into practice and really get to know our neighbors and yeah. and, and be, be missionary to our neighborhood. We're the same way. We moved four months ago, so we've been yeah. in the process of getting to know our neighbors. And we, we've had even the sense uh, that Jesus has sent us to our neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's no accident. You know, God has sent us there and wants us to be to be involved uh, sharing the gospel there. And so uh, the, the recently we were standing out in front of our driveway on July 4th, and we had our neighbors on our left and our neighbors on our right at the bottom of our driveway, yeah. hanging out, talking, connecting. And so it was kind of neat because I said to the neighbors on the right, have you met our neighbors on the left? And so we just kind of brought everybody together and they congregated on our on our uh, driveway there. Yeah. So that was a neat moment, you know, yeah. just to just to kind of bring some people together, have some some community that's beginning to form there. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 neat to to actually put it into practice. Yeah, and guys, anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody can do that. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have a, a master's degree in theology to be friends with your neighbors. Yeah. And uh, and this book is a great resource to help. Highly recommend help some it. of that. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What you got? Yeah, the book I want to recommend, and a lot of folks have heard me talk about this book, uh, and and really it kind of plays into some of the discussion that that Brad. Uh, shared with us. And it's called Starfish and the Spider by Ori Brofman and Rod Beckstrom. Uh, Ori Brofman is such an interesting guy. I've read, uh, there's only one book that he's written that I haven't read yet. He's become a favorite author of mine. And uh, he actually consults with the Pentagon on chaos theory and leaderless terrorist organizations. Oh, oh well, that's so if, if, interesting if work. nothing else captures your attention that you need to read this book, that alone should pique your interest. Yeah. Okay, what is this guy who consults with the Pentagon on chaos Wait, you theory going to write about? don't consult with the Pentagon? I don't consult with the Pentagon. <laughs> they have not asked me a question. Uh, I keep waiting for that call. Uh, if, if the Pentagon is calling me, then it's probably going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but the whole the whole point of the book is... He looks at this. The two metaphors he uses: starfish and the spider. And and he talks about them. There are spider organizations and starfish organizations. He said, with spiders, it, the the organization is built around the head of the organization. The trouble is, if you cut the head off a of spider, what happens? It's dead. It dies. Mm-hmm. It's done. If it's built around that leader, uh, then if that leader's removed, uh, then it then it struggles. We see a lot of churches struggle with this. When the pastor leaves, mm. they struggle because so much of the ministry and, and vision and everything was built around him alone. And then you bring in a guy after that who's different from the former pastor, and so there's all kinds of implications for the church here. So he advocates a starfish kind of approach to leadership, and it's not really a leaderless organization, but it's a shared leadership approach to any, any organization. If you cut a starfish in half, you get two starfishes. Hmm. If you cut off a leg of a starfish, it grows a new starfish, and the old starfish grows a new leg. And so, and he used a lot of stories. It's filled with incredible stories from uh, ranging from the MGM versus Napster controversy and how MGM was a spider organization that was the big conglomerate going to crush. Uh, this you know upstart rebel Napster file sharing leaderless organization, and and they won the battle but lost the war mm. because when Napster uh, went under and they they kind of got Napster to fold, then all of a sudden here comes LimeWire and Rhapsody and mm. and and now there's you know legalized file sharing with you know like Spotify and yep. and, and Pandora and all that stuff and and so you know I mean it's just a fascinating book. And looking, and he looks at eBay as kind of the perfect 
uh, example of, of how to have shared leadership, but with some central organization as well. Because he said, with you know, with uh, he used eBay as uh, uh, it, it's typically a peer-to-peer selling network, but you have to have somebody mani- manage the finances. Hmm. You don't want peer-to-peer finance sharing because right. then, <laughs> then, then you can get in a mess. Sure. So eBay has a central organization to manage the finance piece, mm-hmm. but it is literally a peer-to-peer selling network, yeah. and and uh, they just provide a forum for that. And just the man, just the implications of that for the church in yeah, so multiplying break, leadership. Break and some of those down. What are some of those implications? Top two implications. For, well, for one guy can't do it all, yeah. and if one guy's doing it all, when that one guy leaves, the organization's going to struggle. Yep. The church is going to struggle. Yep. So, how are leaders multiplying themselves and sharing their leadership and their influence so that if one leader is taken out, the organization mm-hmm. doesn't collapse? What is a leader? What is a pastor's leadership development process? You know, that, that's something that he's got to be thinking about. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just it's spending time with other people yeah. and, and giving away responsibilities mm-hmm. to, to, to share, share that leadership. Yeah. I, you can invest in somebody all day long, but if you don't turn them loose and let them do what you've been investing in them to do, right. then, it, then it's pointless. And so, good stuff. so he talks about, uh, he uses al-Qaeda as, as an example as well. And, you know, we kill Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda still still going. Why? Because there's always somebody there to step in mm. and continue because it's this am- amorphous kind of, amoeba-like, you know, organization that just continues to multiply and multiply and multiply. Mm. And uh, it's just a fascinating book. One of my top ten favorite reads ever. Mm. And uh, so I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. All right, so there's the bookshelf for the week. Um, We're going to wrap up coming soon. Uh, Next episode, as we said, we'll have an interview with Andy Whitten, who is pastor of the Root Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. Uh, really looking forward to that. Some great stories coming out uh, of uh, Andy's ministry there, and you'll get to hear more about that. A couple of uh, events coming up we want to remind you of. Uh, Chapter 1 Weekend, which is our kickoff church planting training uh, for all uh, people interested in planting churches. Uh, It's August 19th and 20th, and so uh, put that on your calendars. And then once again, uh, Hugh Halter and Brad Briscoe are coming in for a bivocational church planting one day. Uh, that will be at the ABSC uh, building on September 24th. And so we'll have more information and links to that information on the show notes and uh, uh, on the podcast page. So uh, put those down. Remember those. Look forward to having you join us in those events. And, uh, Chad, you got any final thoughts? No, man. It's good times. Really good today. All right. Great interview with Brad. Yeah. Uh, love that guy. And so until next time, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, keep grinding. See you, see you soon. Keep grinding.